I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister and an author, but most importantly, a crime junkie. Welcome to my podcast, Behind the Yellow Tape. Stephen Keogh was a police officer with London's Metropolitan Police for 30 years, and over half of that time was spent as a Scotland Yard detective, investigating terrorism and murders. Since his retirement from the force, Stephen has turned his hand to writing about his experience as a detective inspector and what it takes to catch killers and bring them to justice. So, in your career, you must have seen or investigated quite a lot of murders. Have you any idea how many? I don't. And, and, and for, 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 I did it for 12 years, investigating murders. Mm. I didn't do it for all my 30 years. And some murders are... You you basically take control of it's your teams, and then it might be especially when I was a sergeant, when I was a DS on it, you 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 perform a role called known as a case officer, and it's you that takes it to court. So those kinds of murders, I I, I knew inside out, and I, I was very much a part of. But then you'd also be involved in others where you didn't have that quite such a central role, and then there'd be others where you're assisting in other teams in part of it. So over the 12 years, I really, I couldn't even begin to put a figure on it. I know it's a hundred plus, mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't, I, whether it's 110 or 150 or 190, I don't know. All mm-hmm. I know is throughout my career or throughout those 12 years, we were regularly, it, so it might just be that you were, you were attending the crime scene. Remember what I was talking about earlier about when you, when you first attend a crime scene, but you might then hand that murder investigation onto another team. So I did that a lot, and you and you kind of you, you lose track of those. I mean, you you go to these scenes, and later on, someone will mention it, and you have to really rack your mind about it because you've been to so many. Mm. Um, so yeah, an awful an awful lot, and I couldn't put a number on it. But you must have seen an awful lot of dead bodies. Yeah. How does that affect you? How does that affect a police officer? Um, ninety nine point nine percent of the time it doesn't. Um, so the the. If, if you think about it, so a, a police officer doesn't just start investigating mur- murders. So when I when I came out of Hendon, I, di- I didn't leave Hendon after 20 weeks and say, right, you're now on a murder team investigating mm. murders. I went to I went to Greenwich, and as a young police officer, what, what tended to happen then, I, I don't know if it's the same now, probably not, but what, what tended to happen then was any calls, it was called sudden deaths. That's, that's the term that police use for... Uh, deaths reported to the police so it'd be a sudden death and you'd send the new new police officer there like the, the new probationer so i was always getting sent to dead bodies so you kind of you start to build up a resilience so the first ones you see tend to just be people that have died um of, of natural causes so they're not very gruesome and then you might start to go to road traffic accidents or um people hit by trains and that kind of, so things kind of you so what you're essentially doing is you, you you're building up your resilience bit by bit so then by the time you do start to do the more serious things your the the the, the dead body part of it isn't even part of it you're not it's not even part of your thinking it you're 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 getting on with your job you're not thinking about the dead body so i think the the worst scene i ever dealt with was um 2005 i was on the anti-terrorist branch and we were on call and it was these the 77 bombings and my colleague and i we were the, we were the first two from the anti-terrorist branch to turn up to one of the crime scenes that we road and we didn't leave for two weeks we stayed there for two weeks and it was our job to 
remove the dead bodies from the trains and then we had to do a forensic sweep search of the of the track and the train itself which took two weeks and that involved taking out everything everything that was there and you can imagine a a, a, mm. a bomb on a on a on a packed train so but when you're doing that because you've been through those steps of dealing with the 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 the, the sudden deaths and the road traffic accidents and etc you can professionally do your job without thinking oh this is a dead body you're you're just doing what needs to be done mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 what and what everything you're doing you're doing it for that victim and it would be wrong if you were more caught up in your own feelings and your own concerns rather than trying to get justice for this victim and 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 doing what's right for them but but the only proviso to that the only thing that i never got used to and that was dealing with children um that i found always found that hard um mm. and and, it, and i always thought when it, that that to me was comforting because you do worry especially after 7 7 where people were asking me you okay like friends and family knew what i did mm. and, and i was and i was like mm. and that started to worry me like well if everybody's asking me am i okay and i really am mm. Mm. should i start should, should I be worried <laughs> yes. about, have i lost have i lost a part of myself <laughs> um, yeah yeah so it, I did reflect a lot, and it just, I just I, I was like, well, actually, no, I, I've, I've got a job to do, and and, mm. and I can't be getting caught up in my own emotions mm. because mm. I'm trying to do it for those victims, and you know what I mean. And if I'm having to wipe my eyes and tears because I'm, I, I, you can't, you can't do that. You've just got to get on and do the job. Yeah. Um, but I never, I, it was never that easy with children, like going to, to the murder scenes where they were or their post mortems, and that. I always found that hard. Mm-hmm. So is there a system then within the force that um, what I'd call debriefs you then? And and so you are able to, because my question would be, how do you keep going back after having that kind of experience? How do you keep going back to the job? I, th- I honestly think it just gets easier. Uh, and and, it, and it, it comes down to resilience and it's not, and and you, and the word you'd use there was job, and you're doing your job, um, and that's what you're focused on. Now, I, I, this is purely hypothetical, but if I was in my own private life, just to keep walking around and just seeing dead bodies, I think maybe it might start affecting <laughs> me. But because I'm hmm. because I'm focusing in on 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 doing what I'm there to do, you you don't think about. It. And I, and I'm, I think I'm very much similar to most police officers and probably most men really i i compartmentalize and i just mm-hmm. lock things away um but it, but, but when i was writing my book funny enough right so i started i hadn't realized i hadn't really realized something so i when, when i was investigating murders i used to have the most violent dreams like i would go to i would go mm-hmm. to sleep and in my in, in my dreams I would I would be killing people and I'd be doing it in the most violent, brutal ways of stabbing, beating, shooting, strangling. You know me. Wow. In my sleep, I was doing Gosh. it, and I'd wake yeah. up and, uh, and my partner would like, we'd be like we'd, we'd laugh about it. She'd be like, oh, "What have you done now?" Like, oh, yeah, I might <laughs> shot someone. <laughs> um, but I joked about it because yeah. it was, I wasn't worried about it because it's yeah. just what your brain how it works, isn't yeah. it? So I'm yeah. sticking away all this stuff that i'm seeing in my brain mm, and you're mm. not in control of your brain when you're asleep mm, are you it mm. takes over yeah so this yeah. is how it manifests at night mm, mm. and, and when i was writing a book and i and, and i was sort of reflecting on it and i realized 
I don't have those dreams anymore. <laughs> oh, is that, as soon as I stopped investigating murders, oh, the dreams stopped. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. So it must mm. just must just have been how my brain was processing mm. Mm. And, and keeping me going. Maybe I don't know. I don't mm. know. Mm. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a psychologist, but um, yeah, I don't have those anymore. I can go to sleep now. Do you know? Weirdly, when I have a dream now, I tend to dream that I'm a police officer again. <laughs> Weird, weirdly. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. so uh, maybe because <laughs> I'm then, writing, I'm always yeah. writing about being a police officer. So, I'm, I'm yeah, just wondering, do, do you wake up in a sweat and think, "Oh my gosh, I'm a police officer again"? <laughs> no, no, I don't know. I actually, yeah, I actually quite enjoy my dreams now. So I don't, I'm so stressing oh, them. Gosh, that that that's quite funny. Has there been a time where you've felt scared on the job? really no because i think adrenaline kind of takes over in mm. scary moments so you don't scare you might might later on look back and think oh that was a bit that was a bit of a close one there but at the time you don't actually there was one there was one right so this is this is this isn't what you know i started talking about um probationers so the new police officers that come out i i i'd been in for about three or four years and i had a probationer working with me and we got called to, used to get called to these quite a lot. It would be a neighbour hadn't been seen for a while. Mm. And it was um, in Cholton in South London, um, first floor flat, got there, knocked on the letterbox, um, no response, opened it, put my nose in. Because if there's a dead body in a flat, you can generally, there's a smell of dead bodies that you, you, you learn what it is very quickly. Mm. And I couldn't smell anything. Um, and the neighbour come out and said that the the windows at the back don't shut very well. And I've got a ladder. If, you, if I give you the ladder, you can climb up and, and have a look and get in. So went around, put the ladder up against the window. And so the probationer, right, you can go up to the ladder. You're the probationer. You can, you can go in <laughs> first. Um, but the, the police um, lowered the height limit. Um, so there is no height limit. And what? so I was working with a five-foot-two man who – couldn't get between the the ladder and the window so okay well i'll do it then so I, I i pushed the window open and and on the other side of the window was a dressing table which i had to push forward to climb in and as it as it fell forward it went onto a bed so i i sort of clumbered over the clambered over the um the dresser into the bedroom through to the front door opened the open the door for him we had a look around. It was nothing. It was dark. The electricity wasn't working. It was nothing. It was dark. Um, couldn't see anything. And But the only place I hadn't searched is where the dresser had fallen onto the bed, just the other side of the bed. So for completeness, I thought I'd better have a look on that side of the bed. So I've looked everywhere. And as I stood on the bed, a leg flew up and hit me, <laughs> completely by surprise. And I ran screaming. I literally <laughs> ran screaming out the front door of the flat. <laughs> And the, the fella I was with come after me screaming too. And then he got outside and he, he was like, why are we screaming? Said, there's a dead body in there. And But what I'd done then is I'd disturbed it all. And um, so when we went back in, suddenly there was a, it was absolutely full of blue bottles. Oh, And the smell was yes. something else. Yeah. It was like, whoa. Yeah. And it turned out this, this person had died of natural causes but hadn't been seen for two or three months mm. and had died mm. and, and had fallen onto the radiator. So it basically just melted into into the carpet, and it was, it was, it was grim. It was really, really grim. And it, but it all settled until I until I disturbed it. Oh, right. Yeah, so that's probably the most scared. So, so certainly the only time in my career I screamed. 
Now, you mentioned earlier that you've got a new book coming out. Are, are you able to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so what this is, is um, it's about Jack the Ripper. Mm. And it's it, it's two two things to it, really. So first off is, if if, if Jack the Ripper was to um, happen now and we had that serial killer in, in East London how would we deal with it what would what what would what would we do how would we investigate it so that's one aspect of it then it then it's also using the, as a comparison so this is how we would do it now how did they do it then what's the difference and then i'm applying some modern day methods to answer three questions really it's it's what did he do because there is some controversy over which crimes he actually committed mm-hmm. why did he do it so trying to getting to understand what why why he committed those crimes and who was he who was jack the ripper so that's 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 the book in in a nutshell really so it's a modern day approach um comparing it to what went on in the past and trying to answer those three questions good 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 have you ever thought about writing fiction like crime fiction um no well I, I I don't know. I don't know. I could. I don't. I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm a South South London boy from a comprehensive. I don't think I've got the uh, vocabulary. <laughs> oh, you have. You to have. express myself. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, know. You have. It's been mentioned yeah. a couple of times. But yeah. You know, in all in all honesty, Joy, Joanna, the thought of writing another book at the moment is like the last thing I want to do. The hard work. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I know. Quite. 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 Have quite. You, um, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about your career, your experience that you'd like to share? I don't know. I mean, in, in terms in terms as as a career, I thought it was it was great. And I, I must have must have done it in in, in a way that was quite positive because I got two children that have followed me into it. Oh, so mm-hmm. my daughter's a detective. My son's in uniform. Oh, right. Um, so yeah, so. Um, yeah. I, so, what did they? It, they thought, well, if Dad can do that, then so can I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I've always been quite positive about it. And do you know what? At the moment, I actually, I actually feel quite sad about where it's at mm. in terms of mm. people's perception of police officers and policing in general. Mm. I, it makes me really quite sad because it's a profession that I loved, and and I, I know that there are so many people that give so much. In in terms of, I mean, like for me, I, I I was divorced, and a huge part of that is 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 the police and the job I was doing, and mm-hmm. I, I missed so many social functions, so many bits to, of, of my kids' parties, and mm-hmm. I had to cancel going to. Th- you just give over so much of your life, and then mm-hmm. and, and then it's you put yourself and and in danger and, so, and, and and what i'm saying is i'm not asking for thanks by doing it what, mm. I'm, what i'm trying to express is that police officers give up an awful lot to do the job and they do it willingly mm. uh, and they do it because they've they've got the right intentions and, and they and they and it's all about police generally is about looking after people and the vulnerable and protecting people that's what it boils mm. down to it's about protecting people protecting the community and everything that they they do it's just let down by people and it's no there's no point in even saying anymore it's just a minority everyone knows it's a minority but that minority have done so mm. many horrible th- things and so many things beyond that you could even imagine a police officer would do that it's it's going to take an awful long time to come mm. back from that and that makes me really sad for the people mm. that have really give their all for a job and, and and they've been let down and it just it just feels like a long road back mm. so do you think then it's a matter of time because when you started 30 years ago and over the years i guess things were f- fine 
you would say? No, well, they're not. No, 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 not at all. No, mm. I mean, if you think about it, so I joined in um, 91 and we we had the um, – Stephen Lawrence was killed in 93 and we had the um, inquiry into, into that. And it and, and it was really hard at the time when we were we, we were um, classed as institutionally racist, mm. and I, I, I didn't argue it with that at the time. I wouldn't argue with it now, but it feels like we're now all these years down the line, and the same things happening. Mm. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. It, I don't think it is time because I think. If we if we don't change, or I say we, it's not me anymore. But if the police don't change in what they do, it's just are we going to have the same inquiry in twenty years' time, and the same thing's going to happen? And it needs a change of attitudes. It needs to come from the top. And I think, from the outside looking in at what the new commissioner Mark Rowley's doing, I think I think they're going the right way. Mm. And I just hope my job was investigating murders, and you you can't solve murders without the help of the public. And as soon as the public start turning on you, that's that's your they're your witnesses. They're the people ringing in and giving you information. They're the people that you take to court to solve the crime for you. So, if you start losing the public, you you, you can't do your job properly. So, it, um, yeah, it, something needs to be done, and, and it needs to be done quickly because I think people are just getting worn down by it. Yeah. Have you got any ideas? Well, what are your thoughts of things that need to be done? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, the most important thing is it comes down to leadership, and and that's not just from Mark Rowley; it's all the way down to all the sergeants and 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 an understanding of what what is right and what is wrong. And um, I've got I've got a, a, my partners in the police. Um, I've got a daughter in the police. I've got a sister in the police. So I I I, I see as a, as a as a white heterosexual male, I feel like I had a privileged career because I didn't I didn't see I didn't get any any of that, um, but having now got um female relatives and, and and my partner in the police i get to see aspects i think well, i didn't have to go through that and and that has to change mm. it shouldn't be uh, people everybody should have what i had in my career i could just go get on and do the job without having to worry that an aspect that i can't change about myself is interfering with that do you know what i mean mm. um so and 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 I, I was privileged and that shouldn't be a privilege should it it should just be the same for everybody whether it's down to your, your, your sexual orientation, your colour, or, or your, or your, or your um, uh, <laughs> what's the word? <laughs> uh, You're your, your, whatever. Because, it's because of your sexual orientation. I couldn't say your sex again. Your gender. That's yeah, your gender. <laughs> your gender. Yeah. It, should, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't affect mm. your, you and your career in a place, should it? It's just be, you, you, you should be able to do what I was allowed to do, mm. which is just get on and do the job. Yeah. And, and until we reach that point, um, yeah, we we and we need to reach that point quickly. I think, mm. and that and that comes down to everybody within the police understanding what is right and what is wrong, and that being reinforced by by the uh, by the those in charge. Yes, lovely. Thanks, thanks for that, Stephen. One final positive thing you want to say about your experience in the police? I suppose the most positive thing is I wouldn't change anything about it, and that's I don't. I, if you do anything in life, and I, when you've come out of it, if you say you wouldn't change anything then, then it's probably gone all right isn't it yeah lovely Stephen thank you for your time and um, thank you for having me Joanna it's been a pleasure Stephen Keel's first book The Murder Investigation Team is available now to buy and his next book about Jack the Ripper will be published in July 
Thanks for listening. I am J.A. Lovelock. Join us again next time and catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com as well as on all podcast platforms. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. 